Section 5 of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet, translated by Marion McIntyre. Section 5 The Mother, a Souvenir of the Siege. That morning I had gone to Mont Valerian to see our artist friend Monsieur B. Then a lieutenant in the mobile of the Seine, I found that fine fellow on guard, no way of getting out of it, and there he was compelled to pace back and forth before the postern of the fort like a sailor on watch, while we talked of Paris, of the war, and of dear ones far away. Suddenly my lieutenant, who in spite of his military coat was as tremendous a dauber as ever, stopped short in the middle of his sentence and caught my arm. There's a fine daumier, he whispered. He was looking at something out of the corner of one eye, and that small gray eye of his kindled like a hunting dog's as he pointed to the silhouette of two venerable figures that had just made their appearance upon the plateau of Mont Valerian. And indeed the couple suggested some fine sketch fresh from daumier's hand, the man wore a chestnut-colored surtout with a collar of greenish velvet that looked like old wood-moss. He was short and lean and ruddy, with a low forehead, round eyes, and nose like an owl's beak. His head was like a shriveled bird's head, and his air was at once silly and solemn. To complete the picture, he carried on one arm a bag embroidered with flowers, from which protruded the neck of a bottle, and under the other arm a box of preserves, that everlasting tin box, which Parisians of those days will never see again without recalling that five months' siege of theirs. Of the woman, all that one saw at first was an enormous hood-like bonnet and an old shawl whose scanty folds wrapped her from head to foot, revealing all the more plainly the poverty it attempted to conceal. Now and then, however, the tip of a sharp nose peered out from the faded ruches of her bonnet, and a few spare and grizzled locks could be seen. When they reached the plateau, the man paused to regain his breath and to wipe his forehead. They certainly could not have been too warm in that foggy, keen November air, but they had walked very quickly. The woman never paused, not she. Advancing directly towards the postern, she looked at us a moment with some hesitation, and as if she would speak with us, but doubtless intimidated by an officer's uniform, she preferred to address the sentinel, and I heard her ask timidly that she might be allowed to see her son, a Paris mobile in Company 6th 3rd Battalion. Stay here, said the guard, and I will call him. She gave a joyous sigh of relief and returned to her husband, and both seated themselves at a short distance on the side of a talus. They waited there an interminable time. Mont Valerian is so big, such a complicated affair, with its various enclosures, its bastions, glacis, barracks, and casemates. No easy task to find a mobile of the sixth in the mazes of that town suspended between heaven and earth, hanging its huge spiral in the midst of the clouds, like Laputa's island. 
Moreover, at that hour, from one end to the other of the fort, drums and trumpets are sounding, canteens rattling. The sentry is relieved, duty service begins, supplies are distributed. The sharpshooters are bringing in a spy covered with blood, beating him with their gun butts. Some peasant folk of Nanterre are come to complain to the general. An estafette comes galloping in, the man chilled and the beast dripping with sweat. Litters arrive from the outposts with the wounded suspended upon the backs of mules and moaning softly like sick lambs. Sailors are seen hauling a new cannon to the music of a fife with cries of heave ho. A shepherd in red trousers is driving in before him the cattle belonging to the fort, a rod in his hand, his chasse-pot slung across his shoulder. In the yards of the fort an incessant coming and going, men passing one another and disappearing through the postern like figures vanishing through the low door of some caravansary of the east. I hope they have not forgotten, my boy, the poor mother's eyes are saying all this time, and as the minutes lengthen she rises and discreetly approaches the entrance, casting a furtive glance towards the front yard while she edges along the wall, but she dares not ask any more questions, lest she should reflect discredit upon her son. Her companion, more timid even than herself, does not budge once from the spot where he is seated, and when she returns again and again to seat herself beside him, her heart swelling and a look of deep discouragement visible upon her features, it is plain that he is chiding her for her impatience and giving her no end of explanations as to the exigencies of a soldier's life, information imparted with the imbecile air of one who would have you think he knows it all. I have always regarded with the deepest curiosity those little domestic scenes enacted amid the utmost silence, scenes of whose significance one often divines more than is actually seen in those pantomimes of the street which elbow us on every side during our walks abroad, the merest gesture often revealing to us the history of a lifetime but what specially charmed me here was the awkwardness the naivete of my principal characters and it was with real emotion i witnessed all the incidents of a delightful drama of the hearth as i followed that little dumb show as expressive and transparent as the pantomime of two of seraphin's marionettes i seemed to hear the mother remark one fine morning i am sick of this monsieur trochu and his orders i have not seen my boy for three months i want to see him to kiss him and the father timorous with an eternal air of apology for the fact of his existence is frightened at the mere thought of what must be done in order to obtain permission to see the son and at first attempts to dissuade her but my dear you don't stop to think mont valerian deuce take it is a long way off how could you ever get there without a carriage besides it is a citadel women are not allowed to enter but i will enter answers the wife and as he obeys all her commands he undertakes this new errand he goes to the secteur to the marie to the headquarters of the army of paris to the commissary clammy with fear shivering with the cold knocking at every door stumbling into the wrong one again and again waiting in line two hours before the office of one department and that not the right one 
but at last he returns towards evening with the governor's permit in his pocket the next day they rise very early and dress in the cold by lamplight the father nibbles a bit of bread to fortify himself but the mother is not hungry she prefers to breakfast later with her son and to cheer the poor morble a little they pile into the bag both the ordinary provisions of the siege and those reserved for special occasions chocolate sweetmeats and the bottle of wine they remember everything even the famous box an eight-franc box which they had laid aside religiously for a day of need at last they have started when they reach the ramparts and the gates are opened they must show their permit and now it is the wife's turn to be frightened but she is reassured the permit it seems is quite en regle you may pass says the adjutant on duty and not until then does she breathe freely how polite that officer was to us she toddles on as agile as a young partridge the man can scarcely keep up with her how fast you walk my dear but she is not listening to him above her mont valerian looms against the misty horizon and beckons to her come quickly he is here and now they have reached mont valerian a fresh cause for anxiety suppose she should not find him what if he is not coming after all suddenly i saw her tremble clutch the old man's arm and spring to her feet in the distance footsteps were heard echoing along the vaulted passage footsteps which she recognized it was her son when he appeared the entrance to the fort was suddenly illumined for her eyes and indeed he was a big splendid fellow his bearing erect and vigorous he came gun in hand and knapsack on his back his greeting was sincere as the joyous virile voice exclaimed good morning mamma and suddenly knapsack blanket chase-pot and all disappeared from sight and were lost in that enormous bonnet then the father's turn came but it did not last so long for the bonnet wanted everything for itself it was insatiable and how are you are you clad warmly enough how are you off for linen and beneath the ruches of that bonnet i could see her eyes and their prolonged and loving glance which embraced him from head to foot amid a shower of tears and little laughs and kisses for there was an arrearage of three long months due him an arrearage which maternal tenderness was striving to pay him all at once the father too seemed deeply moved but he did not desire that any one should suspect the fact he understood that we were watching him and blinked once or twice in our direction as if to say you must excuse her she's a woman and if i could excuse her but the sound of a bugle interrupted all this joy unexpectedly the call said the youth i must go what you will not take your breakfast with us i cannot i am on duty for the next twenty-four hours above at the fort oh said the poor woman and she was speechless and in consternation each gazed at the other for a moment then the father was spokesman at least you will take the box he said in a heart-broken voice with an air of gluttony and of martyrdom which was at once touching and ludicrous but in the agitation and emotion of leave-taking that infernal box was nowhere to be found it was pathetic to see those feeble and trembling hands groping for it and to hear two voices broken by sobs inquiring the box where is the box evidently considering this petty and homely detail not unworthy of their great sorrow 
but at last the box was found there was one long last embrace and then the sun returned to the fort on the run but recall how far they had come to breakfast with him and that it was to have been a great affair in their lives that the mother had not slept one minute the night before in anticipation of it and tell me whether anything could be more pathetic than that little party which never came off that momentary glimpse of a paradise whose door was so suddenly so brutally closed against them they lingered for some minutes standing motionless in the spot where the boy had left them their eyes riveted upon the postern through which he had disappeared from their sight at length the man roused himself and made a move towards departure he coughed very courageously two or three times and his voice gaining confidence he said quite audibly and cheerfully come mother let us go then he made us an overwhelming courtesy and took his wife's arm my eyes followed them as far as the turn in the road the good man's air was furious he brandished his bag and his gestures were full of despair the mother herself appeared to be calmer she walked beside him her head sunken upon her breast her arms at her side but i fancied that from time to time the shawl which covered her thin shoulders rose and fell convulsively end of section five